Please be seated and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this evening as we, uh, we come into a new section of the book. Paul has been defending his ministry, and uh, here he begins to, uh, to talk about, uh, he's kind of wrapped up the, the very overt defense of his ministry, and here he's going to begin talking about generosity and giving, how it is that, that resources are to be shared in the, uh, the context of the larger church. And this, uh, this will continue through chapter 9 over the next several weeks. Uh, the, uh, the giving that's described here is not properly speaking what the Old Testament referred to as tithing. Uh, here, Paul is talking in particular about uh, promises that were made by the church at Corinth to, uh, to, to provide supply for the need of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and it was a, a significant part of Paul's ministry to be collecting funds from the churches that he had planted in order to support the church in Jerusalem that was in so much need. This evening he introduces that topic, and you're going to notice as we read, we'll be reading chapter 8, verses 1 through 15 in 2 Corinthians. You'll notice that broadly there are two parts to this passage. One is where he points to the other churches in a region called Macedonia, which is north of, uh, of Corinth, and sets them as an example for the Corinthians. But then ultimately, in the second part, he goes to Christ and points to Christ as both the example and the source, the one who enables us to do these things. And so let me pray for us, and we'll get started this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that, uh, that you have taught us not only that we are to be generous, that that's most consistent with the gospel, uh, and with your provision for us, but that you have made it possible then for us to be generous uh, and have encouraged us in that. We pray that we would take it to heart, Father, that we would be a people who are characterized by generosity. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's Word, Second Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us." Accordingly, we urged Titus that, he, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need 
that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Two things this evening. First, how should we be generous? What does it look like to be generous? And second, why should we be generous? How should we be generous and why should we be generous? Paul supplies answers to both of these questions in abundance. First of all, how should we be generous? In what manner should we be generous? What does it look like? First of all, we desire to give. We see Paul talking about their desire to give. Uh, in particular, towards the, uh, the end, he says uh, in verse, um, verse 11, uh, he says, or it's in verse 10, not only to do this work, you, you started not only to do it, but to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. Uh, one of the aspects of generosity is that it begins with a desire to be generous. And that desire bears fruit in the beginning of being generous and is fulfilled, it's, it's perfected in completing that work of being generous. How should we be generous? We should begin by desiring it. We desire to give, we begin to give, and we complete our giving. Uh, he then encourages them to excel in forgiving. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What we see here is uh, the, the general truth that we as Christians ought to be generous. Uh, there are particular opportunities to be generous. Paul does not say that you are required to be generous in every particular instance. He does say it's voluntary, Right? How is it both voluntary and required? It's required generally. We are to be a people who are characterized by generosity. Characterized by our generosity. We give voluntarily in particular instances, eagerly even. But we are to be generally characterized as those who are generous. Uh, The church ought to be a people who are known by one another and by the community around them as generous people. Uh, This was true in the book of Acts. We read about this. It was true in the early church after the the book of Acts concludes, and we have historical accounts, uh, not just from Christians, but from those particularly who were not Christians, who remarked that the amazing thing about the, the Christian community was that they not only took care of their own poor, but of our poor, that is, the Roman poor as well. They not only took care of their own poor, but those who didn't belong to the church. The church in Asia, uh, in Greece, in uh, Rome, was famous for their generosity with one another and with those around them. It's an extension of Christ's teaching in the Gospels. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And one of the ways that we express love for one another is by our generosity for one another and with and toward one another. Generosity marks the Christian. 
Now, we are to desire to give, and then we are to fulfill that, begin and complete and excel in giving, giving voluntarily, eagerly giving. Look at how he describes the church at Macedonia. The church at Macedonia, as I said earlier, is a little north of, uh, of this area here where Corinth is. And he describes the church at Macedonia's giving as a way of, of prompting the church at Corinth. Uh, look at the beginning. I'll start at, at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he, the, the, not the churches in Corinth or the region that Corinth is in. But in this other region, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor. By the way, the word favor there is actually the exact same word as grace in the original language, charis. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This ought to characterize the Christian community. We ought to be a community that is eager to be generous, particularly with one another. We give voluntarily, eagerly, even. We give despite affliction. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, it, it's almost contrary to reason, isn't it? In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. How does poverty overflow in a wealth of generosity? It's because generosity is not measured in absolute dollars. Generosity is measured in the heart with which it's given, the desire out of which it flows, the exceeding even the apparent ability, so that Christ can say in the Gospels, do you remember this? Christ says of the woman, who comes to the, the, the box at the temple and places a little mite in the box and says, he says of her, she has given more than anyone else. How can Christ say that? It's because she has given out of the abundance of her poverty. We are to be characterized as a people who are generous, and that generosity is, is not destroyed by affliction. That generosity is not undone and put away with whenever we are, are suffering affliction or are ourselves in a condition that any reasonable person would describe as poverty. But we give what we have when it is needed. It's interesting, Paul here doesn't even say poverty, he says extreme poverty. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. We give despite affliction. Finally, how should we be generous? We should give ourselves to the Lord first. Look at verse 4. He says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected. 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They're giving... Those who openly profess faith in Jesus Christ are not the only ones capable of generosity. But their generosity flowed out of an understanding that they were doing so in service to God. Their generosity was an act of worship. Their generosity was understood as as what was right for them as those who have received all that is required from Jesus Christ. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so we see that that generosity, Christian generosity, is is an act we engage in as an act of service to the Lord. We give because we love those around us. Those to whom we give, it is an act of love, but it is also an act of service to God. So we we get these cues from Paul here about how it is that that we give, what should characterize our giving. It is despite affliction. It is is from the the overflow of joy and poverty. We give abundantly as needed. We give voluntarily. We give out of a desire to give, even as we see the desire to give of the churches in Macedonia expressed here by Paul. It seems like too much, uh, and at times it seems contradictory. Um, How can poverty overflow, for example, into an abundance of giving? Uh, It would seem that it can't, except that the well out of which all of this springs is Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second point this evening. Why should we be generous? Now, we, we have the example of the other churches. Paul is unashamed to say to a group of churches that have said they will give, have you heard about these other churches? They said they would give, and they've done it. And it was amazing. You should give like them. You should take their example. They've done a really good job of showing us what it looks like. You should remember them when you begin to do what you said you were going to do. We have this example among ourselves. We ought to be an example to one another. Uh, We we spend a lot of time making sure that we know about one another, that none of us is Jesus Christ to anyone else. And that's appropriate. It's right. Uh, When we come to a point where we believe that there is someone in our life who has to provide all of the things that only Jesus Christ can provide, that is not a healthy relationship, and we are going to be disappointed. We understand this. But it doesn't mean that we aren't to be an example to one another and to provide for one another. Uh, We do the same thing, don't we, with with Scripture and people in Scripture. Uh, David is a fantastic example to us. Now, in the story of David and Goliath, if we just stop there, we've missed the best part of it, right? But we can't say less than that. In in a very important regard, David, in the story of David and Goliath, is a a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he does things there in that foreshadowing that only Jesus Christ can and will do. But that doesn't mean that we can't look at David in that story and say, wow, what a fantastic example of faith. And we do it over and over again with with different examples in the Old Testament. We, We must get to Christ But that doesn't mean that Abraham in his best moments is not an example to us. 
that David, that Samuel, that, that all of the, the greats who show up in the Hall of Faith, for example, although there's a few of them there were confused about how they got there, right? We'll admit that, Hebrews 11, Samson, right? Not sure how Samson got there exactly. Uh, he's a bit of a mess in the book of Judges. Um, but in the same way, we are to be an example for one another. An example, particularly in tonight's text, an example in giving and in generosity. We ought to be willing to share out of what God has given us in order to meet the needs of those around us. Paul is is clear here in these final verses, isn't he? He says, says, "I, I don't mean, verse 13, that others should be eased and you burdened. Uh, he's, he's not talking about the rote distribution of wealth for the sake of distribution of wealth. He is saying that we ought voluntarily, who have, give to those who need. And there may be days, Paul says here, when, those, when, when we're the one in need and those who have will supply our need. This is how the church supports itself and cares for one another. We have these fantastic examples in Scripture, and Paul is unashamed to use the example of the churches in Macedonia here to spur the Corinthians on. And in the same way, we have the example of the Macedonians, and later the example of the Corinthians, who in fact come through in their giving to the church at Jerusalem. But just like with our Old Testament examples, Abraham and Moses and David if we only stop at looking at our brothers and sisters as an example, then we have missed the greatest example, the greatest motive, uh, the greatest encouragement to be generous. And Paul does not stop there, but ends with Christ. Christ is the final example. Uh, He says, beginning in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, 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 is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, eternal in the heavens and comes down, empties himself, as Paul will say, by taking on the form of human flesh. He was rich by every stretch of the imagination, every sense of the word, and yet, for our sake, became poor. There's the example of Christ. We have Christ's example, the ultimate example. Maybe the Macedonians really weren't thinking straight, and they gave a bunch of support, but they probably shouldn't have. They, were, they had poverty, and they gave even above what they were able to, so maybe now they're in trouble, and they've got to be rescued. And, and maybe the human examples that we go to, maybe they're good, and maybe they're not, but there can be no question that Jesus Christ has set this example for us. That Jesus Christ, for our sake, became poor so that we might be rich. And more than an example. Notice that the result is that we might be rich. Now, Paul's not talking about finances there. Uh, The sense in which Christ became poor so that we might be rich is not about money. It's about something far greater than money, as Christ will, will teach us over and over and over again 
in the, the Gospels. There are things that are far more valuable than money and, uh, and gold and silver. Nonetheless, uh, it is not less true here about our finances. Everything that we have has come from God. God has provided for us. And in the same way that He's provided, even as we share those things, even as we act in generosity to supply the need of our brothers and sisters around us, God will continue to supply for us what is needed. Sometimes, and this is, this is a, an important distinction, I don't mean it's magically appearing in your bank account. I'm not telling you if you will be generous with your money that you will end the day with more money than you started it with. I don't know if that will happen. May it be, right? But I don't, I, that's certainly not what Scripture teaches us. But what we are taught here is if you give out of what you have to support those who are in need, when you are in need, God will supply for you from those who have. Right? It's a, a beautiful uh, passage that we have from Paul this evening. It's gentle. Uh, it's an encouragement. It's a reminder that this is not only the example Christ has set for us, but Jesus Christ, by His finished work, actually enables us. He has given us all that we have and has promised to continue to provide for us. And so we have this great confidence. We don't have to give grudgingly to those who need. We don't have to give in fear that by giving we will somehow go without what we need. We have in Christ all that is needed, and He will continue to supply that need. So our generosity has no, there's no reason for any fear or grudging in the generosity to which we are called, but out of our hearts with desire, love for God and love for our brothers and sisters, we give. Let me pray.